welcome. Glad you are all here today. I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just uh, Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, and Lakewood, and those that live stream us, and those that are listening many different places. We are glad you are part of JFC family. Uh, you will find the notes on your seat. If you don't have them, grab them and follow along with me in a brand new series called Old School Heroes. And I put in your notes, um, here's the purpose of this message. We want to use the heroes of the Old Testament to inspire and to motivate us today. And I think a lot of times the Old Testament in particular, because we are under the New Covenant, we, we a lot of times don't know how to take the Old Testament and categorize it. We see a lot of it as, um, as great stories, but we don't recognize that uh, God was very intentional to leave the Bible in two distinct parts for us. Uh, the Old Covenant, while, while we have a better covenant now, the, the individuals that live under the Old Covenant, really, the Old Testament shows us the need and the truth uh, that all of us need a Savior, and that all of us uh, have been provided that in Christ, but he left the Old Testament intact so that we'd be able to look at it and to learn from it and to draw from it. And I was thinking probably the word that is, uh, the, probably the greatest word to pick on, on what we're able to draw from the Old Testament is the word testimony, the word testimony. And I, I, I grew up sort of with the idea, testimony um, we would have on Wednesdays. We had church, here's how, it, here's how it went. I went from Catholicism to a small Pentecostal church and the Pentecostal church would meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. And then an additional night during the week was either a prayer night or a youth group night or something like that. But Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that's just when you went to church. Wednesday nights at the church would be the night where they would do testimonies. So it was, imagine, um, sort of a, uh, um, uh, a little country church maybe sat 100 to 150 people. The instruments were a, a piano. That's what, that's what you had primarily. The person who led worship either led it from the piano or would stand right in, in the front. We had the, the books with the songs in it. How many of you remember the books with the, with the songs? So you turn to page whatever or to hymn number whatever. It was called the hymnal. That's the way that they led, they led worship, and it was sort of a very traditional thing. But Wednesday night, the way that they would do it is they would have um, the opportunity for you to call out which number you wanted to sing. So somebody, they would just take requests. It, it was request night is what it was on Wednesday night. There was nothing that was set up, so you could just, pastor would say, uh, any requests, and people could raise their hand and go, I want number 142, victory in Jesus. And uh, I don't know if anybody remembers victory in Jesus, but we would sing every Wednesday, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior. Okay, so that, okay, now you're quick. <laughs> there was always, always, always that song. And then uh, when that was done, it was the opportunity to give a testimony. And, and because the church was so small, and generally speaking, there weren't a lot of new people ever coming into the church, the ones giving the testimony, it would always be the same people with a very similar testimony Every time, you know, Sister Mildred would give the, the testimony. And so it would always, it always kind of be the same thing. Um, anyway, uh, it, it somehow through that, I, I guess not somehow, you can, you can sort of use your imagination. You recognize testimony kind of took on the connotation of a little bit of a negative thing. But the testimony is a powerful uh, tool that the Bible uses to build faith in the life of people. And in fact, um, I 
uh, I found this. This is, this is uh, from John's Gospel. Uh, you remember the story when Jesus met the, the Samaritan woman at the well. It's a really, a really cool story. And most of what's focused on there is the woman um, talking to Jesus and Jesus asking for a drink of water. And she said, hey, don't you know that Jews don't talk to Samaritans? And he tells her, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink of water, you, you wouldn't just, you know, you'd take a drink of living water and you'd live forever. And they have this really great conversation. And Jesus prophesies to her about the lifestyle that she's living. But anyway, um, he sends her back to her village. And she goes back and she gives testimony as to who Jesus is. And in, um, in John chapter 4, verse 39, this, I don't know if you ever saw this in, in context before, but this is what it says after she has this experience with Christ. And she goes back to her village to talk about her experience. In verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then it quotes her. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now let me stop and just point this out to you. Before they met him personally, they became believers, the Bible says, because of her testimony. Testimony is a powerful tool that God has given us so that when we have an experience with God, what we are supposed to do, we are supposed to testify because it causes faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. What? Hearing what? Hearing people talk about. Yes, the word, but what? Hearing people talk about their living experience with who Christ is and how he changed their life and what he did for them. Okay, so when we pull on the Old Testament then, one of the truths that we can learn from it and begin to understand, the reason God left it intact and gave it to us, it is a testimony. It is supposed to produce faith in us. It's supposed to cause us to come alive. It's supposed to show us how people interacted with God and build in us belief as we come into contact with God. Does that make any sense? So, so when we talk about old school heroes, I'll, I'll say the purpose again. It's to use the heroes of the Old Testament to inspire and motivate us today. It's supposed to cause faith. Their testimony is supposed to cause faith in our lives. So Hebrews 12.1, this is New Testament, uh, begins by saying, you find it in your notes right there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All right, let me, um, let me teach you just a couple of things. These, these go back to Bible college days into some basic theology. Anytime in the Bible when the, the, the text starts with the word therefore, the word therefore, theologically speaking, is always a connecting bridge word. So the way our Bible is broken up in chapter and verse, you recognize, and I, I've said this jokingly, but just so that everybody knows, Jesus never taught. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Now write it down. It's not how it went. Jesus is, is actually, he's either doing a message, a sermon, he's teaching, or they are remembering something that he did. And then in order to be able to find it quickly, for reference point, they then added who wrote it and put a chapter and a verse with it. 
But anytime you read the word therefore, it's always, it's supposed to, it's supposed to jar us to understand, don't start the text at that word, back up to what was written before that. So therefore is a connecting bridge. So in, in Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded, Hebrews chapter 11, if you know the Bible at all, Hebrews chapter 11 is the entire, it's called the hall of faith. It's all of the people who did unbelievable things in the Old Testament for God. That, that, that it talks about Abraham. It talks about uh, uh, the judges. It talks about um, uh, David. It talks about all these exploits that these people did. And so then chapter 12 begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses that are surrounding us? It's the people from the Old Testament who did these incredible acts. And they're, they're, they're around us today. I mean, the Bible gives the idea that they're watching us, that they're encouraging us, that they're, they're cheering us on, that, they're, that they're, they're there spiritually as models. Here's, here's how your life is supposed to go. Does that make sense? So, so with that in mind, we're, we're looking at old school heroes because they, they surround us. They're clouds of witnesses. And what it's supposed to do, it's supposed to cause us to throw off everything that hinders us. And then we're supposed to run like they ran. Use perseverance and get after it. So I put down, therefore, there's always a connecting bridge to the passage. I, I would challenge you to do this. As you read the Bible over the next week, look at how many times you read the word therefore. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 12. I used it in the last series we just got done with. Romans chapter 12, 2 talks about having a renewed mind. But chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, present yourselves as living sacrifices. And then go back and read. What, it, it talks about what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, because he's done this, you give this to him. Let's go back and read it. It's really interesting to read your Bible that way. It'll help you uh, a lot. So uh, under transition, here's, here's the hero that we're going to look at starting this new series. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. Uh, let me ask, anybody in here like Joseph? I, I, man, Joseph is a person. It inspires me uh, when, when I use the idea that it's supposed to motivate us. Joseph's life, many times, I look at what he went through, and I can relate in a couple of different ways. Number one, whenever I go, man, I've got it rough. No, not, not, not really. <laughs> not really. And number two, I like the way he hung in there. I, I just, uh, there's a lot of things about Joseph that motivate me today. So, so I put, um, what inspires me about Joseph? Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I, I think we could do a whole series just on the life of Joseph. I think it's very unfair to try to do one message and, and encapsulate this incredible individual and all the things that he did by, by, by one message. So I, I think in a way it's very unfair to try to do that. So I, I'm even going to go... Um, I'm going to go into hyperdrive with that. I'm not even going to give you uh, areas. I'm going to give you one thing about his life that I find maybe to be the most motivating thing. Uh, I, I want to talk about God's favor on Joseph's life. I think more than, than anything else I read in the scripture, the, the favor that Joseph had on his life, I, in my mind, it's just, if I could aspire to that, if I could see that happen for me and for all of you, I, I, would, I would say, hey, success. So we, we begin to read about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now, obviously, I can't take all that was put uh, about Joseph. I mean, there are actually there are chapters that are written on Joseph. I don't have room for it in the notes. So I, what I had to do was just pull out um, some, some, some chunks, and then I'll come back and give context on it. So Genesis 37.5, the Bible begins talking about Joseph this way. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him 
all the more. Now, real quickly, his, what was his dream? Uh, I don't know if you remember. Um, s- s- just because you're in the Bible doesn't mean you were smart. Uh, he, he, he <laughs> I hope you can take that as a joke. That was a total joke. Here, the, the thought here was just simply, um, <laughs> he, he wasn't the youngest, but he was almost the youngest. Um, Benjamin was, was the youngest brother, but Joseph was right there. Joseph's other brothers um, uh, sort of were in their group, and then Joseph and Benjamin come along. The Bible says that um, uh, he was treated differently. He, he you know, I, any of you that are fathers, you recognize if you show favoritism towards one child, the problems that that causes inside of a family. As I look around the room, some of you look very broken when I, like you have a personal experience with, yes, I can relate what my mother did to me. I, yeah, um, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. So he's sort of a spoiled kid, to be honest with you. He, is, uh, he, has, he has a special uh, favor on his life. His father made him a special, the Bible says, multicolored bright coat. I don't know if you saw the play Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor uh, coat or whatever it's called, dream coat or whatever. Uh, his father makes him a special. How many of you know that, that things like that don't endear you to your family members? I mean, you know, little brothers that get things like that, the big brothers don't go, oh, you're just special. I guess they do. You are special. Come here, special. And so uh, they, <laughs> they, they didn't treat him well. But he has a dream. And the dream manifests itself this way. He said that I, I, um, I saw the, the sun and the moon and the stars. And he, he recognizes that his father is the sun and that he is the moon and his brothers are the stars. And the stars end up um, bowing to him and, and sort of uh, coming underneath his, his presence and his... Um, his authority. And again, you recognize when a little brother says that to a big brother, that just doesn't set well. That's just not, it, you know, some dreams, some dreams you don't have to share. Some dreams aren't made to share. Some dreams, sometimes when God speaks to us, this, I don't know why even, these are not in my notes. They're not, maybe it's just from experience of life, but let me just say to you, sometimes when God shares things with us, they're just for us. They're not for everybody else. A lot of times, prophetically, people feel like, gosh, God told me this, I need to tell everybody. A lot of times, you just need to be quiet. And just like Mary, ponder it in your heart. God will make whatever needs to happen, happen. You sharing it to make it happen, that's the worst thing you can do. So let me me just say, Joseph, he had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Here's, Here's what I would go after, talking about the favor on his life. Let me, let me give you three quick things. Number one, I'm going to call it the thing. In this case, his thing was the dream. But put in context whatever it is that God has done for you that's special. Whatever, whether it's a dream or a word or um, a vision or a desire or a ministry or a relationship, whatever it is that God's done for you that's special, that's out of the ordinary, that's, that's different, I, I just put these three things about his dream. Number one, the thing or the dream that God has for you is what makes you special. Can you agree with that? You know what, what makes you different from, from the other six billion people or whatever it is on the earth is the thing that God has for you. It's what sets you apart. It's what makes you unique. 
It's what makes you different from everybody else. And here's the really cool thing. God doesn't have favorites other than if you say it this way, we're all his favorites. So God has something unique for all of us. Do you believe that? And, and here's, here's the thing. You don't decide what that is. You have to discover what that is. You, and, and what we tend to do is we look what, what somebody else has, and because we don't know what God has for us, we tend to just take what they, we go, that's what I want. So we begin to covet what somebody else has. And I, I heard Joyce Myers teach this one time. Never want what someone else has unless you realize what they paid to get it. That, that a lot of times is a, what a separating factor idea but the thing or the dream that god has for you is what makes you unique and what makes you special how about this second thing the thing or the dream will protect you and keep you all the days of your life i have told this story and people laugh at it but i really believe this to be true i remember um there was a time i had this tremendous fear of flying and i don't know what it was because when i i um my father was a private pilot and he, he flew um, literally, I mean, three, four, five hundred thousand miles in a year was not unusual for him to fly. And, and I grew up, my mom met him and he adopted me when I was a kid. And I grew up on private airplanes from the time I was probably around five till I, he was killed in a car wreck when I was 11. So from five to 11, that six year time period, I bet I flew five hundred thousand miles over that time period it was a tremendous amount of miles that i got to fly on a on a gulf stream what a what a cool way to go man what a what a fun way to go but the the i never had a fear or a thought about flying till i was um i i was probably right about 20 26 or 27 years old chris and i were youth pastors we were in kentucky and uh, all of a sudden i started getting a few invitations to travel to go speak here and to go speak there and I was really excited about that and I remember I was at this little airport in Lexington, Kentucky and everything that flew out of the airport was propeller airplanes, no jets, right? So I get on this little propeller airplane and while well, I was getting on it, so that's the ones, you know, now you walk from the gate and you go right out on the, on the, 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 the little bridgeway right into the airplane. Okay, this airport was so small, this is where the stairs, they pushed the stairs up to the aircraft and in fact, this plane was so small, they didn't even have, the plane itself had stairs. The door opened and it unfolded and went right down to the ground. That's how little this little plane was. So I, I go to crawl on this plane, and God is my witness, a piece falls off of the wing. I am not kidding. I'm not making that up. I'm standing, I'm waiting. I, I step on the thing. I'm about to go up. There's only three or four steps. I'm about to go up, and this, I hear this clink, clink, clink. So I look over, and this metal piece had fallen off and was dancing on the ground. So I go, hey, there's a piece that fell off the wing. Probably we need to do something about it. So the stewardess gets the pilot. I mean, this is how close. This was before 9-11. This is before, this was, you know, everything's just right there. The pilot literally comes off the airplane, picks up the piece, and he goes, ah, we don't need this. <laughs> I'm not lying. This is not, don't, this, this, I'm not preaching. I'm telling you straight up. So I'm holding on, and he goes, we don't need this. And I'm thinking, why'd they put it on there then if we don't need it? And I went ahead and got on that airplane, and he takes off. And, of course, you know, it's the wild weather. And I keep thinking the wing's going to fall off. The wing's going to fall off. The wing. But it started this, this fear thing that started happening in me every time I flew. And then from that point on, uh, the Bible says, um, Job, there's a scripture in Job that says, the thing that I feared has come upon me. 
The thing that I feared has come upon me. Let me tell you about the power of fear. And I, this is outside of my notes. I, why I'm going this direction, I don't know. But, but that thing that you fear, the enemy will use that thing to begin to torment you. What you fear will be the thing, once he realizes, ah, fear, he will, he will torment you over that thing. So every time I flew, my love, is it not true? Every time I flew, some ungodly, horrible thing would happen. And I would get stuck places, planes would break down, the most, the most just unbelievable situations. Well, the Lord begins to minister me over the situation and telling me, you know, bottom line, it's, it's, I wasn't worried about where I would go. I was just worried about how long it would take on the way down to the after effect. I, I was in the bag. I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to go this way. It's not the way I want to go. And it just would just paralyze me. And the Lord began to deal with me over the issue. He just, John, you've got to deal with this. I've got, I want to deliver you from this. And I remember when he finally did it. I won't go into any more detail, but he, he literally delivered me of the fear of flying. He took it away from me. Just, just delivered me from it. And I remember getting on an airplane one time in a terrible storm coming out of Denver. It was snowing, and they, they de-iced the plane twice. I, I don't know if you've ever been on those types of flights where it's snowing so hard and coming down so rapidly, they de-ice it, and there's a long line waiting to take off. They've only got like one runway open. And by the time you get up and you're ready, with too much ice on it, to turn around and go back through it again. And, and before, it would have just been one of those deals, man, I'd pray in tongues for three hours on this flight with a, you know, a death grip waiting to, to, to perish on the airplane. The Lord had delivered me, and I remember looking around that airplane and actually thinking to myself, if you people knew how lucky you are that I'm on this flight, because I have a destiny that God has called me to. I know where I'm headed right now. I know that God has called me to go speak at this place. Therefore, I know I'm going to make it. And if I make it, all of you are going to make it too. I remember being delivered just from that, that, that fear. And why I told that story, I have no idea at this point. I got lost <laughs> as I was, as I was telling, telling the story other than, it, it, oh, here it is right here. It will protect you and it will keep you. All the thing that God gives you that makes you special, it it preserves your life. It's not a force field. All of us have a date with death. This is life. No one gets out alive. <laughs> True statement. But I say to you, nothing can take you out before your appointed day. Nothing can take you out before your appointed time. We should not live our lives in any fear. We should walk through it boldly. The thing that is special will protect you and keep you all the days of life. If that's true, listen to this. The thing or the dream then is what the enemy hates about you, and that will also cause you trouble all the days of your life. Did you hear that? Saying yes to that doesn't mean you're saying yes to trouble, but it does mean this. Because you've got that on your life, the enemy targets you. And therefore, you are in a spiritual battle. You don't have to lose the battle. You don't have to succumb to the battle. You don't have to be beat up by the battle. But you are in a battle. Joseph had a dream. And those facts that I just told you are absolutely true. Let me say this to you. God's favor brings promotion to your life. Hey, try, try right now. Dig deep and catch this. God's favor brings promotion to your life. The book of Proverbs says, 
a man's gift causes him to stand before kings. That is not a gender-specific issue. It is men or women. But whatever gift you have on your life, that's the thing that you want to begin to pay. Instead of paying attention to what's wrong and what's broken and what you need to work on, here's what you should do with your life. Take the thing that's right that God's done for you and enhance that because that's the thing that will cause you to be promoted in life. That makes sense? People today spend too much time on their weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all have deficiencies. We all rely on God to help us for the future. Here's what you should do. Take the thing that God has given you that you're good at or that he's blessed you with, enhance that because that's what promotes you in life. So I put down in this thought, God's favor brings promotion and God will use whatever circumstances come your way to beat the enemy. So like in the Old Testament with Joseph, He's sold into slavery. His story is a very unique story, but he ends up being in a position to get revenge on the ones who hurt him the most. But rather than seek out revenge, he makes this statement to his brothers when they come to him for food and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. They think he's long dead. And he has a chance he could kill all of them instantaneously. But he says this, what the enemy intended for evil, God is going to use for good in your life right now. And what he was actually confessing is that everything you tried to do to me, God is actually used now so that I'm the winner. And I throw back at you, the very thing that you have in your life, the favor of God on your life that might cause you to be shot at, whatever the enemy does to you, God intends to use that thing to cause you to prosper and to be promoted. So that it fr whatever the devil does, he loses. How frustrating would it be to be in that position? No matter what you try, you're going to lose. I put down as an illustration. How about, how about this? This, this? The circumstance, see if you can understand this. The circumstance is generally the method or the mechanism of promotion in your life. Bob, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, instead of cursing the circumstance, learn to understand God uses whatever circumstance you're in to bring promotion to you. For instance, David ends up fighting Goliath. Yes or no, Goliath was the mechanism for promotion in David's life. Goliath, Goliath experiences stink. Who, who wants him? Nobody wakes up in the morning going, God, bring a giant my way today. If you do, you're crazy. Something's wrong with you. But no, nobody wakes up going, I'm looking for a Goliath experience. But we all have them. They all come our way regardless. God intends on using the very thing that, is, that, is, that the enemy wants to destroy you with. He intends on using it as the mechanism or the, the, the method of promotion. I put down, how about the cross? None of us recognize the vicious, ugly embarrassment of the cross. The worst way to die. Slow, painful, ugly embarrassment. It, it was not to just simply kill a person. It was to demoralize and dehumanize a man. To strip you naked and let you die. P public humiliation. And the best thing that can happen is that you'll die sooner. That's the best thing that can come from it. Yes or no, it was the very mechanism of the cross that caused the ultimate promotion of life. How about the thorn? Paul ends up with this thorn in his life, and I've heard preachers debate it. I don't have a clue what the thorn was. And the truth is, neither do you. 
Uh, people say that it was epilepsy. I have heard the, I have heard the craziest, Deb, I've heard the craziest things. People want to debate the, I don't know what the thorn was. Here's what I do know. God said, I'm not going to take it away from you because my grace is actually activated in your life because of the thorn. And the thorn was a mechanism for Paul to be able to reach more people. He felt more compassion. He was more humble. He was able to be used by God in a greater way. Does that make sense? See, I know the message is kind of like, gosh, if I say amen to it, does that mean I end up with a thorn in my life? How about this? Whether you say amen or whether you say no, we all have thorns in our lives. What do you want to do with your thorn? You want it to be the stopping point or the promotion point? How about persecution? What a, what a terrible... To read, I don't know if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You know that there are, there are more people, listen to this, more people dying for their faith today than at any other point in all of history. Yes, more people are dying for their faith today than at any other point in history. Many times we read Fox's Book of Martyrs in a past tense. Fox's Book of Martyrs is happening today. Well, maybe you're sitting here going, what in the world is it? The author's last name is Fox, and he just wrote about people in the first century church who were persecuted for their faith. People who, who went through tremendous odds. Here's what I would say to you. The church grew more during persecution than at any other time. Nobody wants it. It's a horrible thing. Hey, I, God spare us from persecution. But yes or no, the Lord used it in a powerful way. All right, let me just pick up a little bit of Joseph's story here. I used uh, three parts of Genesis. Genesis 39, 1 through 3. Genesis 39, 20 through 23. In Genesis 41, 39 through 41. So let me read all three of them. They all sound like uh, sort of the same uh, situation because it seemed like he would continue to have sort of the same thing happen to him. He was, he was a person who had God's favor in his life. Wherever he was, he would rise to a place of promotion and the enemy would try to take him down and God would just use it to cause him to rise to a higher level every time. So it begins this way. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. His brothers sold him into slavery, if you remember the story. They hated him because he shared the dream. They hated him because his father treated him special and different. And they decided the way that they were going to deal with him was to sell him to uh, a bunch of slave traders. So they threw him in a pit and they told his father that he had been killed by wild animals. But they actually sold him into slavery. So we pick up the story. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Look at this sentence. The Lord was with Joseph and he what? The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Potiphar ended up promoting him over all of his house. Okay, let me tell the story. Uh, his wife was a, you know, they call a man who goes after women a womanizer. What do you call a woman who goes after men? A manizer? <laughs> Kim Kardashian? I don't know. Here, here. Oh. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> that went in the notes. That's just... 
<laughs> oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. So here's, here's, here's what happens. She has eyes for him, and the Bible says every day, now get this, not one time, every day she would come to him and she would say to him directly, sleep with me. So I mean, there, she, this, this woman is not uh, ambiguous in what she's trying to do. She is not laying it between the lines. She comes to him, and apparently, the Bible says she was a very good-looking woman. He was a very good-looking man, and she came to him every day, sleep with me, sleep with me. And every day he resisted her, till one day she comes in, she corners him in the house. Nobody else is there. She corners him, and she is pressing up against him, grabs him, and says, sleep with me, and he takes off running. When David says, sometimes the best thing you can do is to run from evil, this is an example of it. But here's the problem. She grabs hold of his coat. He slips out of his coat and gets out of the house, but she has his coat. And I always thought, what a, what a great way. She got his coat, but she didn't get his character. If you're going to give anything up, Give your coat, man. Don't give your integrity. But she was a woman scorned, and she went after him. She told her husband, hey, he tried to rape me. Potiphar, Potiphar had him thrown into prison. So then we pick up his story in Genesis 39, 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, look at this. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. My point, whatever the enemy throws at you, God's intention is to take that very thing and to shame the enemy with it and to promote you even higher. If you'll allow yourself to stay in the position of God's hand, regardless of how much it seems like it is unfair or God doesn't care or all or God is not faithful you had to know he had to think at some point if this what it if this is what it means to have favor maybe I don't want favor so we've got some friends some some Jews in Israel whose family went through the Holocaust and, and he he was joking with me one time and he and he said this I I don't know if it was one of those things I should laugh at or ignore but he said, we, we finally just figured out if this is what it means to be chosen people, how do we become unchosen? It's one of those ones you don't know whether to laugh at it or not. It's kind of like, you know, he can say it, but I can't participate in something like that. I wonder if Joseph ever felt, if this is what it means to have the favor of God, that the, the rug gets yanked out from under me every year or two. How do I get unchosen? You know, this, this statement right here, um, I, I don't want to just run off on a tangent. Uh, when I was, uh, I was 30, um, I was an associate pastor at a church in Loveland, and uh, I loved my job. I had barely, I'd gone from, I'd been promoted from a youth pastor to the associate pastor. I had barely been in my position. My pastor went skiing at the top of a mountain, had chest pains. Skied to the bottom of the mountain, told his daughter, I need to go to the hospital right now. They drove to the hospital. Gets to the hospital, they, they do the whole EKG deal, said, yes, there's a problem, injected with that. Four blockages over 98% or something like that. So he's got to have quadruple bypass. Imagine, this is on a Friday. I get called on a, on a Friday night, and my pastor says to me, I've got to have this. I'm going to be out anywhere from four to six months. You're a pastor. 
There's no warning. And there's, here's the deal. There's no ambition on my part. It's a large church. It was, it's, it's about the same size as our, our church now. Several thousand people. I'm 30 years old, and I've never pastored at that level before. And I felt the weight of the world rest on me suddenly like, man, he's going to go away. He's going to try to recover from this. What happens if people quit giving money? He's, he, what's he going to come back to? You know, me standing there with the keys. Nobody's left but me and the key. Here you go. I had all of these visions of just like what could go. Anybody else ever think? Guy, I reveal how much weird I am whenever I preach. Anybody else ever think? Two of us. Tom, Ewing, you were there. You, man, I remember how, and I, just how the pressure that I felt on my life in a place of like, and I, I, uh, I remember this prayer is what the Lord gave me to give me courage. The, the last sentence right here, it says, um, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And I remember the Lord telling me, I, it's going to be okay, and I am going to bless this church, not because of you, but because of me. Because of the favor that I have on your life, and everything's going to be okay. God is my witness. The giving was higher during that time frame than it had ever been before on a consistent basis. And it grew, and it did fine, and I was able to turn it back over with it healthier than it was when he, when he stepped down. And that right there was a prayer that I held on to. Can I just tell you, sometimes God's favor on your life, why even tell that story? Sometimes God's favor on your life is not for you. Emory, it's not for you. It's for the people that you serve. It's for the people that you love. It's for the people that God has put in your life. God will give you favor. It's not for you. And we make it so much about us. We think God's favor is to turn it into a paycheck. It's not. It is to be a blessing to the people around you. If we could ever latch onto that and begin to pray, God, give me favor so that I could be a blessing. How much favor would God pour on us if it wasn't about, God, give me favor so I could be wealthy? So I could build a reputation or so that I could do something great for me? What if we begin to pray, give me favor so that I could change the world? So he's in this position, he becomes promoted, and then here's what happens. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret Pharaoh's dream. Joseph had the ability to prophetically interpret dreams. So Pharaoh has a dream, and the dream, if you remember the dream, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven fat ears of corn, seven skinny ears of corn. And he tells all of the people in his employment, all of the ones, who, all of the yes men who are supposed to be able to interpret his dreams, here's what he said. You're gonna interpret my dream, and if you can interpret it, you live. And if you can't interpret it, you die. And then he said, to make it a little tougher, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. <laughs> Bob, how'd you like to handle, how'd you like to work for that guy? And I know you're like, I do. <laughs> Dan was slow to get it. He's like, he's talking about you? No, me. <laughs> That's a tough position to be put in right there. And the truth of the matter is they, many of them lost their lives. When Joseph comes out of prison, uh, a man that he was in prison with tells Pharaoh, <laughs> when I tell you that God puts favor on your life for other people, this is, Joseph 
is brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he tells him just quickly, uh, the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows and the seven fat ears and the seven skinny, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be seven years of, of plush like you've never seen, and then there's going to be seven years of famine like you've never seen. So during the seven good years, save up to make it through the seven bad years. And Pharaoh just simply, I mean, we picked the story up. I don't know where I've done with my, yeah. We just picked the story up where Pharaoh in, in uh, 41, 39, it just says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You know, the ultimate issue of the story, while, while he went through the same thing over and over again, the thing that I think you pull from this is that every time, he, he may have gone lower in the depths, but he went higher in the success. He may have gone lower in the penalty, but he went higher in what was given into his hand. And he ultimately ends up in the most powerful place. How about this? I thought about this when I wrote it. I would love to say to believers today, you know one of the things we need in politics today are people who love God and who understand that God has put favor on their lives, not for them, but for the people that they serve. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have politicians who love God, who love people, and who serve to do it the right? Doesn't it seem like all through politics now, it's so rotten. And I don't know if that is true, but it seems, wouldn't it be wonderful to have men and women anointed by God who cared for, who were in it for our interest, for the people? Dad, it just seems rotten anymore in politics. It doesn't seem like any of them, even the ones that confess Christ, it doesn't seem like they're in it for anything but themselves. And I don't know that that's true, and that's probably a bigger blanket statement, but it seems like it's so rotten. What a great day and time for young people to rise up right now and to realize God could put me in a place of favor, not for me, but for my country. So I put in here, one day of favor is better than a lifetime of labor. And I used that in a series in 2011. The reason for that was to say things like this. One day of favor can open a door for you that your brain is not smart enough to get you in position to do. Your hard work can't do what God's favor can do. Your hard work is important. A good work ethic, teach your children well. But the bottom line is one day of favor can do more for you than a lifetime of labor. Now let me give you the takeaway to conclude this message. You have God's favor on your life. Do you believe that? Yeah. Some people are going to sit here and tell me, amen. Let me, let me say this. This is where the renewed mind is effective. The renewed mind doesn't just sit here and go, yeah, I know I have God's favor. The renewed mind acts like it. The renewed mind lives. The renewed mind knows the good, perfect, and pleasing will of the Father. You have God's favor on your life. You are Joseph. You are. No matter what happens in your life, God has already intended all the evil is to be used for good. Do you believe that? Guy, if you believe that, you should have a conniption fit right now. It's true. <laughs> This is where the renewed mind becomes absolutely critical because instead of the pastor telling us, we know it's to be, we, we know it. Romans 12, 2. The renewed mind knows the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
Everything that happens in your life, God can use to be perfect. Everything. Jeremiah 29, 11. How about this? This is from the message translation, which I'm not saying is the perfect translation to study from, but sometimes it's written in such a way that it's just so now. So listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. I love that. Dang it, I love that. How about 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10 from the message again? You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. I love that. You are Joseph. Do you hear that? You have his favor. You have God's hand on your life. Everything that happens to you, if you would put it in a renewed mind category, if you, the reason it's written, Joseph's life, the only reason we even read about it today is so that when you look at it, you go, that could happen for me too. That's the only reason it's there. There's no other reason for you to know about Joseph other than to build faith in you to believe that whatever, is, whatever prison or pit you end up in, God can get you out of it. And to believe that when he takes you out of it, not only does he restore what the enemy tried to take from you, but he gives a hundredfold in return. Therefore, it's not advantage for the enemy to even mess with the people of God. Amen. Just think about that. Here's what Proverbs says. When your life pleases the Lord causes even your enemies to be at peace with you. What does that mean? It means that at some point the enemy realizes when your life, when you get who you are and you begin to live that way, the, the, the devil realizes, I can't afford to mess with this guy. Instead of praying prayers for your children like, oh God, please protect them, why don't you begin to pray, make them so dangerous that the devil doesn't want to mess with them. Does that make sense? Hmm. Old school heroes. I think it's going to be a fun, a fun series to go through. But here's the hope. The hope is that through it, it builds faith. And it builds, it builds hope. It builds desire. And it builds opportunity for you to say, if God will do that for them, why wouldn't he do it for me? He doesn't have favorites other than, if you think of it this way, we're all his favorite. We're all his favorite. All right, so Father, here, here's what we say. God, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would bring real revelation to your people about the favor that they have with you. Lord, so many people today, gosh, church, how many times have I said this? Campuses think right now, how many times have you heard me say, we either live for or from the smile of our Father. We live for or from our Father's approval. And when you don't know that you have God's approval and you're living for it, everything in your life begins to wear you out because you're working so hard to get something that you've already got. You know, I made this statement one time. When we begin to pray for things that God's already said yes to or no to, 
We set ourselves up not to be able to get the answer to our prayers because we can't see what God's already done. If you're praying for God's favor, you need to stop it and you need to walk out of here and act like you have God's favor. What would be different in your life if you knew you had God's favor? What would be different in the way you prayed if you knew you had God's favor? I bet you would be bold. I bet you would get on airplanes without any fear. I bet you would conquer enemies without worrying about whether or not the enemy was going to win. I bet you would move forward in a way in your life. Do you hear me? I bet you would move forward in a way in your life that would absolutely confound everybody around you. What, what about this? What if you knew you couldn't lose? What if you knew, no matter what was thrown in your way, you, and, and here's the deal, you're not living day to day, you're living with the big picture in mind that no matter what happens to you, the end result is going to be God is going to promote you. God is going to win. God is going to defeat the enemy. Would you live any different? Would you be any more confident? Would you have any more faith? Would you try anything else? I hope the answer to that is yes, and then I hope this would happen in you. I hope it would, the, the light would shine, the, the, the dawn would come, the light bulb would pop on, that you have God's favor. And that all things are possible to him who believes. I ask that the Lord would just show you this right now. It would help you. I ask that he would seal that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.